One of the most frequent things I'm asked about is how to have difficult conversations. Now I have some thoughts, but I'm not an expert. That's why today's guest is here. What if we looked at conflict as an opportunity? What if accountability was something we did with people instead of to them? And what if through the process of helping people to be responsible, we were also helping them be authentic human beings, increasing their agency and self-worth through the accountability process? Sound too good to be true? It's not. And Nate Regeer is going to help us learn how to do it. Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Frederick Buskey. We are all on a leadership journey. Every day, we have a chance to grow. Every day, we have a chance to help others grow. My goal and the goal of this podcast is to help you grow into being a strategic leader, a leader who puts people before purpose, who solves problems instead of treating symptoms, and who understands the difference between progress and action. Through this podcast, my daily email, and virtual programs, I'm working to build a network of inspired and inspiring school leaders. Let's get started on today's adventure and this unique opportunity to learn to live and lead better. Nate Regeer, PhD, is the CEO and founding owner of Next Element Consulting, a global leadership consulting and training firm helping build cultures of compassionate accountability. Dr. Regeer is a former practicing psychologist and expert in social-emotional intelligence, interpersonal communication, conflict skills, and leadership. Recognized as a top 100 keynote speaker, he is a process communication model certifying master trainer. Nate is the author of four books, Beyond Drama, Conflict Without Casualties, Seeing People Through, and his newest book, Compassionate Accountability. If that's not enough, Nate hosts a podcast called On Compassion with Dr. Nate. He writes a weekly blog, contributes to multiple industry publications, and is a regular guest on podcasts, including this one. Nate, welcome back to the show. It is great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, we last had you on in July in episode 143. So after people listen to today's episode and are blown away and impressed with you, they can go back and listen to that earlier episode where I think we cover some of the real foundational things of some of the things we're going to talk about today. Before we get going, we always like to start with celebration. So what are you, what are you celebrating today? Oh, today. You know, I want to make it really simple. Today, I am celebrating that my furnace is fixed and working. We had a repair person in twice in the last 48 hours, and we've had a super cold snap here in Kansas. And so I'm grateful and I'm celebrating that my furnace is working. Yeah. And we're, we're recording this in the third week of January. So yeah. probably anybody in the U.S. knows that's an important thing right now. Mm -hmm. Nate, is there a story that will help listeners understand why you do what you do? You know, there's, there's a lot of stories. Uh, one that I, I like to tell when I'm giving keynotes is that um, I grew up the son of missionary parents in Africa. 
And it was a pretty idyllic kind of existence when I was really young in tropical um, Zaire, which is now the Democratic Republic of Congo. Didn't really have a care in the world. Um, but things changed a lot when I went to high school in Botswana in the 80s, which was the only functioning black democracy in Africa at the time. And apartheid was the regime in South Africa. Nelson Mandela was in prison in Robben Island. So being the son of Mennonite missionary parents where pacifism, nonviolence, turn the other cheek, find peaceful resolution to every problem was kind of what I grew up with. Now I'm immersed in, a, in this incredible hotbed of conflict and injustice and um, seeing some really horrific things um, in my life. And so that was, that was really foundational for me because that was when I really started struggling with how do we reconcile um, this idea of compassion in the traditional sense and accountability for behavior and justice. And um, on the other hand, so, so that, that's a story I like to tell. Of course, I, I could go in, in many, many directions, but that was very formative for me in high school as I'm trying to find myself, figure out what I believe in, and then also being in that environment. Thanks for sharing that. That's a really powerful story and set of experiences. And certainly I can see how experiencing that drives kind of a spirit of, not just purpose, but this is something you have to figure out to reconcile with your core beliefs. Nate, we talked about compassionate accountability last time that that was back in episode 143. And so I really wanted us to be able to build on that. I heard you talk recently on a podcast about the difference between empathy and compassion. So can we start there? Yeah. And, and that's, it's a question I get a lot and it's a, it's a great question. And actually one that I was working on earlier today. Um, our company is, is working on a proposal for a big project. And this is a really important distinction that we need to make for the work we do. You know, empathy is, is this idea or, or is this experience of, of experiencing or feeling another person's experience? And often we think of empathy in an emotional way. You're feeling sadness and I feel sadness because I'm around you. And you know, empathy is often, it, by the, the neurological basis of empathy is what we call mirror neurons. These are, are neurons whose, whose sole purpose is to detect and replicate other people's feelings inside of us. So when someone says, I'm fe I feel your pain, sometimes we actually are feeling it in a biological way in the heart. Um, so it's an emotional experience connecting to another person. And I think th there's another part of empathy, which is, which is it's, I think it's a biological evolutionary, really important thing because in order to experience and feel what each other is feeling, it helps us be communal creatures. It helps us care about each other. It helps us look out for each other. It helps us be able to relate. Um, and, and empathy is so powerful because, you know, if you've ever been caring, something or feeling something and, and maybe you think, well, I'm not going to say anything because nobody would understand or they've got enough of their own burdens or they will judge me. But then there's that moment when you do share and someone says, oh my goodness, me too. I, I've been through that. So it's not just feeling the other person's pain, but being able to connect and relate through a common emotional experience. Um, so that's empathy. 
And a lot of people confuse empathy with compassion because that sense of connection that empathy does for us, it can often stir us and it, it motivates us to go want to do something about it. You know, not just, Hey, I'm sorry that, you know, I remember feeling sad when my dog died, but what can I do to help? And I think compassion goes the next level. It's like, I want to do something about it. I want to get actively get involved in that struggle, but that is where some things get really dicey. And this is where we really try to make some distinctions and take issue with some of the common um, definitions because very often the common definition of compassion is empathy in action. I'm mm. stirred by your suffering, but then I want to go alleviate it. I want to go make it go away. I want to fix it. And I think there's a lot of inherent problems if we jump to trying to alleviate the suffering right away, even though we may want to. Um, but at the most basic level, compassion is where we now take action on this connection, this emotional connection that we have to people. I love it. And I'm sure we're going to get back to that fix it piece a little, little bit later in yeah. this interview. The next question or the next thing I wanted to talk about was idea of helping people to be accountable versus holding them accountable. And I really come at this from that educational mm -hmm. stance where mm -hmm. basic assumption is 90 plus percent of our teachers want to do a great job for kids there is a level of accountability that's almost wired into them. And so yeah. for me, I see that principal assistant principal relationship with the teacher as us working to hold them accountable for themselves as much as anything else. Um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts yeah. on that. That's such an important topic because Almost, almost without exception, if you say the phrase, hold someone accountable, there's going to be like a negative reaction. Most people don't like the concept. They don't like the phrase. They don't like how it feels to be on either end of that. Um, and so hold someone accountable as it is as if I'm going to go make you do something. I'm, I'm, th there's somehow now an immediate power struggle where I got to go get you to do something you're not doing. And holding in that sense is a verb like to make. Uh, and nobody wants to be made to do anything. So I love your question because we really got to re, re back up and rethink this. And I think to, to, to help understand that, we need to get clear about the difference between responsibility and accountability. Accountability means I am accounting for something. I have to account for it. I have to answer for it. But I might be answering for things that were not my responsibility. An example, well, let's take an accountant. They are, they are accounting for the numbers. They're but they don't produce the numbers. They don't create the numbers. They account for the numbers and they have to answer to their executive team, to their board, to their constituency about the numbers. But somebody else is actually making the sales and arranging what we're going to buy and, and, and doing the behaviors that create those numbers. They're responsible for their behaviors, but I'm accountable for the numbers. So, so Nate, I think- I can we jump in? Because this is yeah. exact. This is the exact situation school administrators find themselves yes. in, right? They're accountable for those test scores that come out. Somebody's mm -hmm. going to talk to them about that. Yeah. But it is the teachers that are doing that work. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And accountability, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm accountable for those scores because it's my school and I'm the principal or I'm the administrator and it rolls up to me. But now we have to look at along the whole way, who's responsible for what? And how do we talk about that? So in the example of a teacher with a student, 
Yes, we want students to take responsibility and take ownership for the things they are responsible for and to take increasing levels of responsibility for their behavior. Um, and I think that's very different than trying to hold them accountable. Uh, and so that that's really where how we go about having those conversations, setting up those environments, pays careful attention to the boundary about who's responsible for what. I love that. So we're we're holding people accountable for being responsible. Well, we're a way to say it is I'm accountable to you for my behavior. Accountable to you means I have to answer to you for my behavior, not for your behavior. You answer to me for your own behavior, but I'm responsible for my thoughts, feelings, and actions. You are responsible for yours. So how does our conversation, our communication, our relationship make crystal clear what that means? And what, what are the parameters around that? Yeah. And so you've just fed into the next question, which is looking at this idea of accountability really as a form of relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in, I just want to hearken back to our conversation about my new book, Compassionate Accountability. We talk about a compassion mindset, which is going into these relationships, going to every interaction with these three switches turned on, which is that I am valuable. You are valuable. I'm capable. You're capable. And I'm responsible. You're responsible. Now there's a lot to unpack that. And I do that in the book, but if if we are going into an interaction for whatever the reason, maybe behavior is not where it should be, or maybe test scores aren't where they want to be. How do we, we have to ask ourselves first, how am, if I was valuable and you were, what would I do or say? If I was response or if I was capable and you were capable, what would I do or say? And the same about responsible. And then that, that at a conceptual level is getting our mind in the right space. Then we have to start actually doing the behaviors to, to conduct that interaction, to keep those switches turned on. Yeah. I love that. And I think the power of that value piece, and I heard you describe it in another interview as recognizing that somebody's valuable because they're a human being, right? That's, that's where we begin. And I, I would yeah. add to that as a leader, we have a deep, important ethical obligation to care about the people that we work with and to value them. And the thing I love about it is as soon as I recognize, Nate, you have value because you're another human being walking this journey with me, I have just suspended the idea of judgment. I don't have to now judge you or try to fill in blanks and make stories about why things are happening the way they mm -hmm. are. Because I accept you, now we can have the conversation and I can ask the questions in a way that are genuine and caring and not uh, prosecur pro prosecutorial. Prosecutorial. <laughs> Well, yeah. And, and when we can separate, treating someone as valuable means you also separate the human from the behavior. I mean, how often do we tell our children when they're little, it's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to hit. We're, we're sending a really good message. What if we continued into adulthood and into teenagerhood to be able to say, you are okay as a human being, this performance, this behavior is not okay. And so let's talk about it. And how do we want to, where do we want to go with it? And what role can you play in changing it? I want to give you just a brief um, story, vignette of something a leader was talking about with me last week. They have a teacher who's either going to retire at the end of this year, maybe next year. 
there's been kind of some negativity, teachers expressing a little bit of frustration. You've got a situation of the administrator then thinking, well, you know, there's that that veteran teacher who's kind of burned out and and ready to to move on. And in our conversation, the thing I encouraged them to do was to go back to that teacher and find out what that teacher wanted their last year to be like. What legacy did they want? How did they want to leave the school? And so he went and he did that and talked to the teacher and he said it was just a, a great conversation. And it began shifting their relationship because now he's moving from trying to make her accountable to helping her achieve really what she would like in terms of how she finishes out her career. Can you talk about that through the process of the framework? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great vignette. And and as you were speaking, I was wondering, what are you going to say to them? What, what, what will we do? So uh, two things I want to bring up that will help this one is let's talk about the definition of compassion. Compassion originates from the Latin root, meaning to, to take on the suffering, to, to, to carry the suffering, to bear it. And when you look at the word calm, that means with or alongside and passion means to suffer. So compassion means let's do this together. Let's not try to, well, I'll make you suffer or you're going to make me suffer. Like previously, if the, if the administrator would have said, well, they're a veteran teacher, they've checked out, there's nothing I can do. I got to do all the suffering while this person does nothing. Or I could say, I got to make them stay engaged. I got to make them take this seriously. So now I'm going to make them suffer. That's not co-struggle. So that's important. The, the other one is a, a famous quote by my friend, Ken Blanchard, great leadership expert, servant leadership guru. And one of the things I love that he says is, is he says, those who plan the battle rarely battle the plan. Those who plan the battle rarely battle the plan. So two things that administrator did as a result of your advice that is consistent with compassion and accountability, they engaged they gave me with the attitude that together we have to figure this out, which means you get to own the solution. You, I want you to help figure out what you want and what's going to take us to get there. The second thing is by, by co-creating the solution, now there's ownership, there's investment, there's a desire to actually manifest the plan instead of just comply with the plan or resist the plan. Nina, I love the, the idea of co-creation. And I, I think if there's one flip that we could make as school leaders that would have a tremendous impact. It would be moving from this paradigm of it's my job as a school leader to fix you or to make you better to it's my job as a school leader to work with you, to support you and help you grow. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have I have over the years had a had a kind of a schizophrenic relationship with the idea of servant leadership. Um, sometimes I get critical of it because it's like, well, put everyone first except for yourself, and you're going to burn out. And we see lots of great altruistic servant leaders who are dying on the vine. But then, as I've come to appreciate more richer definitions of servant leadership, true servant, being a true servant means you are seeing yourself as an equal. You are journeying together. Your goal is not to take away the suffering, but to enhance value, capability, and responsibility 
of both parties through the journey. And so I really do think that that adds some richness to what co-creation can do in a relationship. I love that. That's, that's powerful. And I think it's one of the things that we do overlook in leaders is this idea of self-care and building in our own resilience. And, you know, it's the old adage, you can't care for others if you don't care for yourself, but it's something we continue right. to not be real good at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's not, we're not doing anyone any favors when we don't take care of ourselves because when we're denying our best self, when we're denying our tank being filled, we don't show up with the energy, the open-mindedness, the patience, the creativity to be able to do the kind of interventions like you just described in your vignette. It's really inter interesting. My friend, uh, Danny Bauer at Better Leaders, Better Schools, did a post on LinkedIn a while back that I shared with a lot of my audience, but it, it was all about this idea that the people who are really performing at elite levels don't talk about how hard they work because everybody at that level is working hard. Everybody listening yeah. to this podcast is working hard, right? That's not what's going to separate us. Yeah. What separates elite performers is how they work to recover. That is so, so well said. And how it, it reminds me of something that uh, my wife, Julie, shared with me the other day, an article she was reading on this idea of, of, you know, we're always trying to optimize, optimize, optimize everything, tools for efficiency, get more done. And this article was really lifting up the possibility of what if we spent some more time sub-optimizing and really think about that, that sometimes the purpose isn't to be more efficient or get more done. The purpose is to refresh, refuel. Um regroup and that that has to also be part of our daily routines and our daily disciplines um, in order to continue to be resilient and show up with energy. So I'm not sure if this perfectly fits into that, but there are times when my brain is just kind of consumed with stuff. And I find that I have, when I'm in that kind of frenzied mode, I have a bad habit of continuing to feed that frenzy. So I'll be working furiously and I'll do three different things. And then I'll go in to prepare my lunch and I'll dial up a podcast. And then while I'm eating, I'm listening or reading something else. In contrast, there are times when I am able to make the conscious decision, not doing all that stuff. Mm. So when I'm preparing my lunch, that's all I'm doing. I'm not, you know, reading or whatever. When I eat, I'm just eating. And invariably, there are things that will settle and there are ideas that will smooth out. And they're really productive things that happen to me when I don't try to optimize every minute. Yeah. Working from home has, you know, has its pros and its cons. And, and I recognize that educators listening to this don't often have the luxury of, of working from home. One of the things I've noticed is taking walks in the middle of the day has been really therapeutic for me because if I try to get my exercise, maybe on my treadmill or my elliptical, and I'm, I can watch a show to make the time pass and entertain myself, I get my exercise. But when I'm walking, I have, I'm just with myself, my thoughts and nature. And that's when the stuff comes. I'll often come home from a walk and, and tell my wife, I said, Oh my God, I just figured something out or something just came to me or, or, um, I solved a problem I've been stewing on for a long time. 
Amen to that. I'm yeah. really fortunate that we've got a really nice trail system, literally five minutes from my house. And if oh, I'm struggling, I do that. And, and I, yeah, we recognize that most of the people listening to this are not going to be able to do that, but we can build in times to walk or do something that is exercise, but at a level, I think that that is calming and almost meditative in some ways and gives you the space to process yep. things. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Back to compassionate accountability. Talk to me about the ORPO process, and then we'll try to work through a specific example. Sure. So my book, Compassion Accountability, that we talked about in the last episode, it does not go into specific tactical communication strategies. It keeps it a little higher level because it's focused on organizational implementation strategy. My previous, one of my previous books, Conflict Without Casualties, lays out our formula for compassionate accountability, and it's called ORPO. Um, ORPO is an acronym that stands, well, actually, let me, before I tell you what it means, ORPO is like stop, drop, and roll, but for adults and during conflict instead of fires. <laughs> okay. I love it. <laughs> so I hope educators will appreciate that. Do I we have a poster time, that goes with that? Right. <laughs> I remember the first time my daughter came home from school. I was like, check out what I learned today. You know what we should do if there's a fire? Go, stop, drop, and roll. And she showed us. I thought, wow, easy to remember, right? Um, because when, when we have to have those tough conversations and when, when there's behaviors we got to deal with, it's, it's often under stress. Often we're not thinking clearly. We need something that we can do that will work. ORPO stands for open, resourceful, persistent, and open. And those words come from our model called the compassion cycle. The compassion cycle is a constellation of three core skills of compassion that work together in a specific way in order to enable compassionate accountability. So openness is about transparency. It's about connecting at an emotional level. It's about valuing and validating each other's lived experiences, resourcefulness. And of course, that's critical. That creates safety. That creates a sense of, hey, we're here to work together. We're not here to hurt each other or win or lose. And we have dignity. Uh, resourcefulness, the R, is for creative problem solving and bringing our cognitive abilities and our capabilities and our learning and our skills and our passions to bear on the situation and recognizing that we all have something to contribute to form this solution. I think you demonstrated a great resourcefulness tack strategy in your vignette. Um, the two of them, I'll actually come back to it. Persistence is about walking the talk. It's about doing the hard stuff. It's about finishing what we start, staying in the gym for an extra half an hour to shoot free throws and, and delivering on your promises and upholding the values. So persistence is the hard work of doing what we say matters. So when you put these together, ORP, this is a process of engaging a conversation at a tactical, like individual level or at a strategic level where we start with openness by connecting at an emotional level. Then we go to resourcefulness and say, okay, let, how do we understand what's happening? What can, how can we both contribute to co-create a solution? And then go to persistence and ask ourselves, why does this matter? What's this really about? What are our first principles? What are our core values? And what are we trying to ultimately accomplish here that matters to us? And then circling back to open again to say, basically say, we good? You know, when you do hard stuff with somebody, you kind of want to say, hey, let's hug it out. Or are we good? Or 
we've done some tough stuff together. Let's check back in and make sure we're still valuable as human beings in our own eyes, in our own hearts with each other. Um, and so this ORPO process can literally be four consecutive sentences or four phrases delivered all back to back to back to engage a conflict, to address a behavior, to approach a situation like you did, or, and, and we can talk about that, or it can be used as an, as an overarching template for how do we create an arc for a meeting, for rolling out a change initiative, for delivering bad news um, that that affirms that we are all valuable, capable, and responsible. I love this. And I love the idea of it as kind of a standard operating process for yeah. when I'm meeting with somebody and when I know there's a conflict situation. And, and one thing I've experienced with people is when we have that, that conversation structured and laid out, people may initially resist, well, I don't want to be, have to be married to this. But when we know what the process is, we can stop thinking about the process and we can actually become much better listeners. Absolutely. You know, when you go bowling, the alley has gutters. Everybody knows it. Everybody goes in understanding it. What that does is it gives us parameters. We kind of know how the game works. We know that if we stay within outside of the gutters, we have a good chance of hitting the pins. If we go into the gutter, we know what's going to happen. We can all see it. We all know it. We're all working within it. And it provides that frame and that structure for us to have a great time, get the entertainment that was meant by the design of the game of bowling. So what does Orpo look like? If I'm a, I'm an early career teacher, I'm overwhelmed. I'm mm. trying to prep for all my lessons every day. There's this mm. new curriculum. There's this big professional development that I'm supposed to be incorporating right. stuff I've never know anything about. And I've got some kids in my classroom that are stressing me out. I'm starting to get tense. I've started to write more referrals and send kids to the office. And you as my administrator are seeing these things happen. And I think the first thing is you're concerned about me, right? It's not just about the numbers, mm -hmm. what are test scores going to look like or the increasing discipline, but obviously something's happening with me. Yeah. And so okay. what happens? Well, let's, let's add one. Let's specify a little bit further. Is that teacher who is struggling, are they approaching the administrator to talk about it? Or is the administrator approaching them because they've observed something of concern? Oh, what a great question. So in this example, let's say I'm just holding it all to myself, Got it. but you're seeing it unfold and, yes. and you want to bridge that, but you're going, oh, yep. I don't know. They haven't asked for my help. So how do I, exactly. how do I step in here? I don't want to micromanage. I want to undermine their capability. I don't want to act like I'm hovering on the first day of school. And, uh, but I also don't want to be cold and unsupportive. I want them to know I care. Um, let's, Let's uh, break it down further. So this administrator is preparing for the conversation. The opening statement, the opening ORPO is what we call it. This ORPO lays the groundwork. The first open, she has, she or he, let's, let's say she has options for that first open. And there's three strategies. She could go in choosing the strategy of validation, meaning I could go affirm the lived experience of that teacher and say things like, I can tell you are stressed and that's okay, or it's normal to feel this way, or 
I'm so glad to know that, you know, thanks for sharing, whatever. There might be another option where the teacher could go disclose their own emotions or sorry, the administrator and be able to go and say, I've been feeling anxious watching you and I just wanted to come check in. So now the administrator is saying, here's what's going on with me that has kind of uh, prompted me from within to come talk to you. My own anxiety, my own care for you, my own concern. A third strategy is empathy. Remember we talked about that at the very beginning is I could go in there and empathize and basically say something like, gosh, experiencing you on these first few days reminds me of what it was like for me in that situation. And I am with you. In other words, you're not alone in your suffering. So any one of those three strategies she could use, let's decide she chooses empathy to go in there and say, Hey, I can tell something's not something's up. And I just want to let you know, I remember what it felt like. I'm not saying that I know what you're going through, but I remember what it felt like in my first few days. That's the open statement. Now, without skipping a beat, now she has to prepare the resourceful statement. My guess is she either wants to share what she's observed and what is cause for concern for her, or she might be just curious about what the teacher's experiencing so she doesn't jump to any conclusions or you know, check assumptions. So maybe she follows her statement of, hey, I, was, I've, I noticed you're struggling. I remember what it was like. I just want to check in with you and see how things are going. So is there anything you want to tell me about stuff? Maybe that's her curious question. Now we go to persistence. Ultimately, we have to have a purpose and a reason for having that conversation, which answers the question, why does it matter that I'm coming to you and actually starting conflict, <laughs> right? Um, and it may be something like, um, this administrator knows that if we don't get on top of these things within the first week or two, it can spiral really, really fast. And she's seen this a thousand times. So she's trying to just follow her experience. Maybe she's noticed some behaviors by the teacher that are maybe compromising some boundaries, some ethical things, worried about how students are being treated, could be, whatever it is. Let's say in this case, the administrator just says, hey, the reason I'm coming to you is because I know how critical it is for you to feel confident within that first week. And I'm committed to being there for you during this time. Notice, I say, here's why it matters. Here's my commitment to you. And then I would go back to open and finish with something like, how are you doing? Or what's your perspective on this? So let's put it all together in a four-part statement, ORPO. Administrator walks in and says, hey, I've been... I've been noticing what's going on with you. And I remember how stressed I was on that first day of school. I'm just curious if there's anything you want to share with me about how, how you're coping. Because what I've seen in my experience is it's critical that we don't let these things go unchecked in the first few weeks. And so I'm committed to being here for you during that. How are you doing? That's the conversation starter. We don't stop. We say all four statements. And by doing that, we have laid the groundwork. We're going to be open, resourceful, persistent. We're going to struggle together. You are valuable. You're capable. You're responsible. One of the things I really like about stringing them together like that, well, a couple of things. One is as an admin, I can prepare that statement ahead of time. Oh yeah. Right? And as I continue to use those process, I'm, processes, I'm going to get really fluid at, at doing that. And- and then also because I'm leading and closing with the open statements that how, how are you? And I'm concerned, let's figure this out. Those things are really couched in that human part. 
So I was thinking many times if I ask a teacher, so how's it going? They assume that the correct answer is fine, right? That's the, that's the answer that they're supposed to have. So that's the answer they give. But in, in relating to that person in the open and, and, and the close, both versions of the open, I think that's really helpful. I'd also add that when we consistently check in with people and when we use reflective questionings with teachers, we're really laying the groundwork to make this process even easier. So if I'm in the habit, I, I advocate for five-minute coaching. So if I'm in the habit of stopping by and just saying, hey, tell me what's going well. Have there been any surprises? Is there anything you'd do differently? And I give no feedback in that. That's just reflective questioning for your benefit. I'm going to hear things. You're going to tell me things that then I think I can take that. I can take what I'm seeing and I can orpo that, right? I can come back and, and, and say, Hey, the other day we were, you, you know, you mentioned this kind of thing and wow, that really triggered memories in me and how that felt. So I thought we might circle back to that and then move in. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a wonderful thing. And Orpos can be used in so many different places. We can use it to broach conflict like I did in that scenario or like your vignette. We could use it as a template for daily check-ins and we teach a, a, an Orpo daily check-in template like for doing huddles and things. Or we could use it as a way to circle back and say, hey, you know, there's something I learned and, and now I want to I work it through the Orpo system. But I'm wondering, do we have a minute that we could take the reverse scenario where the teacher comes to administrator basically saying, I'm drowning, uh, help me, I don't know what to do. Oh, absolutely. So in this one, it's a different scenario because now the only real strategy at open would be validation. This is not the right time for the teacher to say, oh, I remember how stressed I was. It's a time for the teacher to say, you're not crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Your experience is okay and normal. Thank you so much for coming and telling me not judging, just feeling it. Then at resourceful might say something like, um, what would you like to share with me about what's going on? I'm happy to be a resource for you, a resource. Notice I'm not jumping in to fix anything. I'm not taking the bait that somehow I'm responsible for their stress or their standards. Now I have to go to persistence and set a boundary about what's going on. Either I can say I'm committed to be here for you, or I could say something like, um, these are the deadlines that you do have to meet, even though I'm here to be a resource for you, but that doesn't take away the fact that you still have to meet these deadlines, but you can lean on me if you want to, uh, and then checking back in. So it really clarifies who's responsible for what. And you've used the term fixing a couple times, right? We're not trying to fix it. And that's one of the challenges for assistant principals, because that's what we think our job is, right? right. I'm here to fix stuff. And I serve yeah. you by fixing stuff. And, and one of the problems with that is when we put that fix it hat on right away, that teacher is coming to us with probably with the symptoms. And so if I jump in to fix that, I'm focusing on symptoms, but when I'm resourceful, what we're really doing is starting to dig in and find out what the real problem is, right? So if I resist that urge to jump in, we are, and we're building now we're identifying problems. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, everyone wants to feel better, but that doesn't mean that they feel more capable or more valuable. Um, when I was a therapist, I, I concluded that people didn't come to me because they want to change. They come to me because they want the suffering to go away. 
And if I jump too quickly to try to help make that suffering go away, I'm not helping really. And I'm not talking about emergency situations, but yeah, fixing, I think is where we, we fall victim to the traditional version of compassion, which is I have empathy. I want to make your pain go away because then I feel better <laughs> that I've done something useful, but what I've done is left a person that's more dependent, less capable, and with their, with their dignity, a little bit charred. Yeah. And I think about fixing as being an action where identifying problems is a process. Mm-hmm. The other yep. thing I wanted to to emphasize this idea of of commitment, right? The persistence, because one of the things I also see is administrators who see a challenge in a classroom, they see something that really could be better. They make the suggestion like, hey, have you thought about implementing classroom procedures? Here's some stuff that you should look at, but they don't, but the administrator doesn't bring the persistence because now they're off and running on something else yeah. and they're too busy yeah. to come back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so they're wanting to say, here's the map, here's the compass, go that way, but I don't have time to walk with you, which to me seems inherently unfair. You're right. And often when leaders complain about being too busy and overworking for everybody and having to put out fires all the time, I invite them to step back and, and consider that you only have three roles. There's only three things you ha- are supposed to do as a leader. One of them is create a safe place for people to tell you what's really going on. Number two, be a resource, but don't do it for them. You are, as a leader, you are a wealth of, of wisdom and experience and knowledge. You've solved these problems a hundred times before. You could show them in an instant, but that's not how you learned it. So your job is to be a resource without fixing it for them. That takes already a huge burden off your shoulders. And then the third thing is your job is to make sure the most important thing stays the most important thing. And if you just do those three things every day, you're going to be a lot less stressed out and you're going to be with people in the way they want you and need you to be with them over the long haul. Yeah, absolutely. And I was talking to an associate superintendent yesterday at breakfast and we said, really, so much of it is simple. We can distill it down to these essential pieces. The challenge is that simple doesn't mean it's easy, right? It is hard, hard work, but we do often overthink it. Orpo is like playing a violin or maybe playing a guitar you can make some music pretty quickly and and you would understand this and and you kind of think you got it. Um, But when you look at what people can do with violins and guitars with that very same instrument with, with the the sophistication of the instrument is, is not appreciated until you start to really master it and learn it and what it can do. Orpo is like that. It's just four things, but when we really start playing with the nuance and learning how to do it well, we can navigate so many situations with deft, with compassionate accountability. If we consistently practice. Mm-hmm. And practice with coaching, not just practice, because repetition creates habits and those could be bad habits. So it's really important that we're practicing within a community where there is some expertise coaching us and helping us do it right. I love that. That's an important point. Nate, as we wrap this up, what part of your own leadership are you still trying to get better at? 
I would say that openness and resourcefulness, openness is probably my weakness, relatively speaking. I work hard on it every day and there, there are some of the strategies that I'm not near as good at as others. Um, I like to fix, I like to solve. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, right? I'm a trainer, I'm a facilitator. I got solutions, I develop things and write books. So I have to, I really have to always be learning, always be curious, always be imagining that there is, there's another way to look at it. There's more to the story. Uh, so those are my learning edges as a leader. And so if listeners could take just one thing away from today's podcast, what would it be? I would say that I've come to believe that diversity of any kind is part of the grand design of the universe. It is, it is put in there for our benefit to make us better. Here's the rub is diversity causes conflict. Inevitably conflict is an outgrowth of diversity. So I have to believe that conflict has a purpose too. Um, it also is meant to be there. It is it, so, so it's the most plentiful source of energy in the, on earth is conflict. And if we use it right as a source of energy, we can create amazing things. And the mechanism to do that is compassionate accountability. One tool is Orpo. It's how you run conflict and turn it into something amazing is through Orpo. So that's what I would say is conflict's not the enemy. Diversity is a gift and compassionate accountability is how we harness that energy to create something amazing between us and for tomorrow. Wow. I just want everybody to sit with that, that conflict has a purpose. We're in schools, we're in a society, we're in a world right now where conflict is everywhere. And although I'm an eternal optimist, there have been times when I've been overwhelmed with the level of conflict. And, and when that happens, I think we risk losing our own agency. So I just want to thank you, Nate, for that, for that quote, for that comment, because if we can view conflict as having a purpose, then we don't lose our agency in it. And our mission is to find that purpose and mm -hmm. to educate and learn ourselves and practice the tools that, that help us make that work. Yeah, for sure. Purpose of life is not to get rid of the suffering. The purpose of life is to find the purpose in the suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nate, thank you so much. And before you go, where can people learn more about what you're doing? Well, you can look my name up, should, should find plenty of links, but everything leads back to next-element.com, which is our company. Or if you type in the word compassionateaccountabilitybook.com, you'll also get there. Okay. And what's the next big thing that you're working on? Ugh. You know, we are, we are exploring the intersection of some of our behavioral technology with AI and really starting to play around in this compa compassion and transformation space within companies. And I think there's going to be some really exciting stuff coming out in the next year or two. Mm. Okay. Well, I'm sure we'll be having you back and maybe next time we'll be able to talk about that. Thank you. Appreciate being with you and with your audience. Nate, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on today. You're welcome. Leadership is a journey, and thank you for choosing to walk some of this magical path with me. 
You can find links to all sorts of stuff in the show notes, including my website, frederickbuskey.com. I love hearing from you, so consider emailing me at frederick at frederickbuskey.com or connecting with me on LinkedIn. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. That helps other school leaders find it. Have a great rest of the week. Be present for others. More importantly, take time to reflect and recover so you can continue to live and lead better. Cheers. Thank you.